to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan, and I'm here with my co-host, Gavia. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about Arrival, the new blockbuster science fiction movie by Denis Villeneuve. This is our first episode after the election, um, so if we sound slightly dejected, that is why. We will be talking about that a little bit later, because it's actually sort of interestingly thematically connected to this film. We should also say that we will not be spoiling this movie at all. So if you haven't seen it, you can definitely listen to the entirety of this podcast. Um, although there is some sort of interesting, surprising stuff that happens at the end of the film. And we should also say right at the beginning that we sort of heartily recommend this movie. So if you have not seen it and are sort of don't want to hear anything about it before you go, go see it and then come back and listen. So to sort of give a brief summary of the film before we start talking Amy Adams stars as a linguist in this movie who gets recruited by the U.S. Army slash government to go try to decipher the language of these aliens who have appeared mysteriously all over the world and also in, I think it's Montana. They have these weird sort of egg-shaped black ships that just sort of descend and they aren't doing anything. Uh, they don't seem to have any purpose or intention, except that obviously they must. And they're these sort of strange-looking creatures that are behind this glass-looking wall. So they've been trying to communicate with them, and they bring her in, and also Jeremy Renner, who's playing a physicist, I believe. And her job is to try to figure out what they're saying. And so the, as the movie develops, her job is to do this while, of course, the military is freaking out because... They're not as interested in scientific exploration, shall we say. And meanwhile, there are also other ships in different parts of the world, which are also having this dilemma. And the film is largely about collaboration and difference, which made it interesting to watch right after the election. But again, we'll come back to that later. Yeah. The enemy in this movie is basically militaristic paranoia, because yes. obviously a whole bunch of really mysterious spaceships show up. All these world powers suddenly are like, they're attacking, we have to get rid of them. And like I really enjoyed the title, because the movie is adapted from a short story that's called Story of My Life. And they changed it to Arrival, obviously. And it's a very smart title choice, even though it's quite simple, because instead of it being all sort of like invasion, it's kind of indicating the neutrality of the aliens arriving. Like they're not a threatening force, but just their presence is a kind of unknown as threatening. And it's about sort of Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner representing expertise and, you know, research and finding out what's actually going on versus all of these military characters. And I think it's maybe the CIA, I think, or maybe the NSA. One of the letter organizations yeah, is kind of represented there as well, being like, we need to be absolutely ready to blow these things up at a moment's notice. Yeah, and um, there were a lot of ways this did not conform to other films of this type, though obviously it's drawing on them in a big way. And one of those is obviously the sort of incredible passivity of these creatures. As I said, they don't arrive and do anything. They're just sitting there which is quite a compelling way to set up a movie because they don't ever feel particularly threatening to you, the viewer. I think you can figure out pretty quickly that they're not going to wind up attacking humanity. Like, that's not what this movie is about. But you really don't know what is going on. Like, yeah, it's, and there's a lot of atmospheric tension. Yeah, but also one of the things I liked a lot was that you have Amy Adams, who as a linguist is not someone who's used to being in these situations, although she's clearly very determined and sort of a person with a lot of 
curiosity and intellectual drive. And they put them in these kind of anti-radiation suits and send them up into this spaceship to interact with these bizarre looking creatures. And she obviously is unbelievably freaked out and anxious about this as anyone would be. It's a crazy situation. Yeah. It's one of the many things that I really kind of enjoyed in the context of other blockbuster movies because the basic structure of the film is virtually identical to a lot of alien invasion movies because you have a relatable non-military character and you have a relatable gruff military character played by Forrest Whitaker, which is a pretty simple role. It's not very taxing. And then you have these overseers who are more threatening. Pretty simple kind of concept. But like it's all just a great deal more thoughtful and that kind of includes Amy Adams' reactions because usually in a film of this type you have the initial freak out which is like oh there's like a comedy freak out because he's really scared because there's aliens but then they just get on with the story whereas in this there's the initial freak out because there's aliens and then it continues and also she's constantly exhausted because she's having to spend every waking hour trying to translate these alien words <laughs> or right. the world might blow up <laughs> which would put a lot of pressure on you that would not be a great situation for anyone to be in and it's it's done relatively subtly i mean it's obvious what's going on but i think it's a pretty accurate portrayal of someone who is on the verge of a nervous breakdown perpetually but doesn't actually have one because it's just not an option like and they she, kind of they shoot her in a lot of washed out tones so she actually does look kind of pasty and exhausted yeah i mean obviously amy adams always looks good but it's not glamorous she's sort of walking around in sort of like dumpy like military type clothing yeah. and is interested in doing her her job it's, it's great that she has two movies out in one week so she has a backup so like they're both very different and if one of them fails the other one's gonna be good right yes <laughs> nocturnal animals which in the end we were gonna talk about this week but i was like i don't want to watch this <laughs> basically the election i think sort of destroyed everything that anyone was going to do but in that one she's playing someone who's quite stylish i think so she's yeah. really co covering both ends of the spectrum here but uh, the thing that sort of people have been comparing it to, obviously, is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I saw at some point this summer and did not particularly care for, although obviously it's interesting from a sort of film history standpoint and loads of people love that movie. But the sense of childlike wonder in that film, which is very Spielbergian, obviously, is not present in this movie almost at all there is a little bit of it from her i think because she does have this kind of naturally curious personality and as she understands the aliens more and more she does come to appreciate the things that they have that are really different from the ways that we function and operate but the whole movie is quite cold like the general tone of it and the way that it's shot, yeah. which I really appreciated, but makes it interesting from a blockbuster perspective. Yeah, it's very that's... downbeat. And also kind of the main emotional thread is Amy Adams mourning the death of her daughter, which is something you see throughout the film kind of interspersed with the present day. You see flashbacks to her interacting with her daughter. I don't know if I would call it the emotional hook exactly because it is sort of no, running a parallel not. track, but it is a central piece of this and even the way that it's shot, um, it was shot by this guy Bradford Young, who's one of, he's still young for a cinematographer, but I think he's 39 now, so he's not as young as he was a few years ago when he broke out. 
but he's one of the most talented cinematographers working today, yeah. I think. He made Selma, and he's making the Han Solo movie next. Yes, he, well, he did <laughs> Raya, he did Selma, he did A Most Violent Year. He is amazing. He's black, and his big thing is that he talks a lot about the way that film and cinematography developed around shooting white skin. So, like, obviously light interacts differently with different colored skin. You think this is fairly straightforward, but no one really thinks about this, or certainly has not historically. And he was like, um, no. So his photography is really beautiful in that way, and but also just generally, he's so talented. And this movie is really, really beautiful and looks very different from most blockbusters, both in the sense that it's just really well shot, but also the color palette is, as I said, like quite cold. I was a little bit surprised this movie made $20 million this weekend which obviously compared to something like a marvel film is nothing but for a movie like this i think it's pretty good like and everyone else seemed to be like oh yeah well i I think everyone is going to the movies yes Yes. and also it's had universal rave reviews every single review has been this is one of the best films of the year and unlike most best films of the year it's accessible it's not like a drama about people being miserable although it's literally a drama about people being miserable yeah <laughs> the aliens are a, a ploy yeah um aliens which are like amazingly well designed and executed Such which is so good rare use of special effects you can really see how they managed to keep the budget down because most of the film takes place there's you know the flashback scenes which mostly kind of take place in amy adams character's house then there's the present day research which is taking place in one of these sort of temporary tent city military locations and then there's the more CGI heavy alien spaceship stuff where you you know you see the heptapod aliens and you're also there's some anti-gravity effects with them going into the ship but it's relatively minimal and it's also a great deal more effective than the really high level of computer generated effects you see in most genre movies at the moment there's kind of two grades either you're watching something that's very low budget and is smart and has good ideas or you're watching the avengers and this is like the middle grade because it kind of looks it's quite similar to Christopher Nolan, but I think it has, you know, it has a more coherent political and emotional message than any Christopher Nolan movie achieves. <laughs> yes. Well, and what was fascinating to me, I saw, I hadn't really thought about this. I mean, obvi- I had absolutely thought about the comparisons of his movies, so they're pretty obvious. But I hadn't so much thought about the fact that there is a twist at the end. And someone, I think, pointed out on Twitter, I can't remember who, that the twist works so much better than, like, any twist has worked in a Christopher Nolan movie, except something like, I mean, Memento, obviously. But I was like, oh, yes. Like, if you compare this to Interstellar, obviously we're not going to say what happens at the end of this movie, but, like, the twist at the end of Interstellar is historically terrible. I... My favourite hobby is if someone who's not seen Interstellar allows me to tell them what happens in Interstellar. (laughs) Nothing gives me more pleasure than revealing the information of what occurs in that film. (laughs) It's just extraordinary. And I am someone who thinks that most of Interstellar is an incredibly good movie. To the point where I think it's one of his better films, despite the fact the end is like... Yeah, there's definitely a good two-thirds of that film that are good. Right! (laughs) But the end is just staggering. Oh my god. And also, like, in terms of the emotional arc, I think basically what what Christopher Nolan does is that he's a very good director and he's extremely good at casting basically the best actors alive in the world. So you have a really convincing performance for a character that's essentially not very deep. 
and or has some stupid motivation that's probably sexist um whereas like in this you have amy adams who is one of the best actresses in the world and they do actually have a concept that holds together for the film and for her yes i would push back a little bit on that regarding interstellar because i actually think that's except memento again which is sort of anomalous interstellar is less sexist than christopher nolan's other films (laughs) oh yeah but i was gonna say less about the sexism which is a perennial issue but the like emotional coherence i think that one has the most feelings yeah it does have a lot of feelings although it's somewhat distracting that matthew mcconaughey the protagonist has this obsessively close relationship with his daughter and the whole film is encircling this relationship that's you know torn asunder by him having to travel into space and his daughter remaining on earth he also has a son who he's basically like just forget it (laughs) i i quite like that though it feels i kind of was like yeah that feels like a thing that happens though yes and there's there are a couple moments in that movie which i think is was initially going to be a spielberg movie eons ago and i think you can sort of tell because there's stuff in it that's very Spielbergian that is not Nolan-esque at all even though it's executed in a sort of Nolan-esque way but there are a couple moments in that movie that are just like I was almost crying which is not usual for me like when he gets all the videos of his of his kids growing up in the space and starts sobbing like I was there with my friend and we were both like oh this is too much and this movie and it's not a criticism it's just different like yes it's quite moving at certain points, but it's not trying to do that. Like, it's a much cooler experience in a way that certain other Nolan films are, actually. But, but it's and also, worth can, Christopher, Nolan's, Christopher Nolan's, like, sci-fi material is not written by sci-fi writers, I don't think, generally. Because this yeah. is clearly based on the kind of short story that is extremely successful in sci-fi publishing, because it's got, like, a really tight concept. Yeah, and it's, it's harder sci-fi. Yeah. I mean, Interstellar claimed very vociferously to be hard sci-fi. They were like, look, we've got a quantum physicist on the board. (laughs) But, like, this has, like, aliens on the Earth who've come in spaceships. Which, like, Nolan in that was like, we have a physicist who's helped us with the black holes. That's not the same thing, as stupid as the ending was of that. Like, it's, it's not. And that's part of what I think is novel and pleasurable about this movie is that it combines this sort of like close encounters silliness with an extremely serious approach in a way that actually connecting to what we were talking about with Doctor Strange last week right like they don't use so much jargon exactly but and of course there have been other sort of alien invasion movies that are done quite seriously but a lot of them can be quite campy and this was done so straight that you never, I mean, certainly I never was watching it thinking like, well, this is kind of silly, right? (laughs) Like, that's not really something that would happen. Like, you just accept it and go along with the movie because they're taking it so seriously. And there are like a couple of jokes, but basically this is not, it's not a funny film. There's really no humor at all in a way that's fine because it's not what the movie is trying to do. Jeremy Renner is like a moderately comic presence. That's basically. Oh my god, can I talk about Jeremy Renner for a second? (laughs) So, I reviewed this movie on the radio the other day, and before the radio show, the producer calls you up and is like, Tell me your ideas for each of these movies. And I was kind of like, Well, I was amused by Jeremy Renner in this movie because he plays the girlfriend role. Ordinarily, I'd just be like, Oh, that's kind of low key cool. But because it's Jeremy Renner, who is quite clearly a sexist douchebag, I was quite entertained by the fact that he has 
essentially the girlfriend role like he has a supportive role where he's a nice man but his motivation is minimal and he's not super necessary except to support amy adams's character but then when i was on the radio show they kind of played snippets of an interview they'd done with jeremy renner and i was just so entertained because he was kind of talking about like yeah you know when i first got this role i just couldn't work out what his motivation was like it was kind of hard to get into the mind of the character i was just like (laughs) welcome to every actress's job (laughs) (laughs) oh that's too funny Jeremy Renner is just like a a total fascinating paradox, though, because everything he just said is true. And yet also he seems to manage to have quite positive relationships with many people he works with, which is fascinating. In that same interview, he said that he's been friends with Amy Adams for years and she kind of got him onto the film. Oh, yeah. And like when he did The Hurt Locker, he was vociferous about Catherine Bigelow and female directors, like in a quite serious way. So I, he just he is quite a, a character. You read long stories of him also. Yes. and He's just like a strange, strange, entertaining <laughs> man. Like, I think maybe Jeremy Ryder is one of these people who's good on an interpersonal level. And then in every other regard, he is not, as they say, woke. I, I feel like that's probably true, which... I mean, not that's an excuse, but I've always sort of just been abused by him. I can't work up much energy to find him angering. I'm just like, oh, of course. And I really like him as an actor, actually, which is born, I think, from The Hurt Locker, which we've discussed before and I love. And he is amazing in that movie and then proceeded to do just like pure garbage for many 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 years and so i'd love I... to see a hawkeye free cut of the entire mcu to, right. see to what extent that would make a difference <laughs> i don't think almost any and so i quite enjoyed seeing him in this which as you said the role is not like especially necessary to the movie except in certain specific ways yeah i mean he doesn't he doesn't have character development or an emotional arc it's very much a one woman show yeah but the movie is good and he is enjoyable in it. And interestingly, not playing, someone was pointing this out again somewhere, I can't remember, but like he, he mostly plays assholes and this character is not. Yeah. An he's asshole. an amiable physicist, which was kind of nice. I was like, Oh, that's, yeah. you know, you're actually a good actor, even though this, this role is not, you know, hugely challenging. So shall we say, so that was kind of, kind of fun. And the two of them have quite a good rapport. I think um, Amy Adams, of course, is superb in this film, as she always is in everything. I could watch her do anything, and I would just be like, "Great." That Spot. actually reminds me. Have you seen the beauty pageant movie *Drop Dead Gorgeous*, starring Amy Adams? No. So that is the first movie I saw Amy Adams in, except <laughs> *Buffy*. I guess I saw her in *Buffy*. She's one of the side characters in this film, which stars Kirsten Dunst. And it's like a black comedy about a beauty pageant where just a bunch of beauty pageant contestants are like assassinated. It's very good. Oh my gosh. It's very good. That's incredible. It's one of those films that's kind of so 90s B-movie-ish that it's um, shot in like a TV-shaped frame. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh man. I'm trying to think what the first thing I would have seen her in would be. I'm not sure. She was in so much stuff. I mean, she's always done a lot of work, but I feel like it would have been Enchanted or Doubt, but both of those feel wrong to me. Because, like, Enchanted is so not characteristic. And I definitely knew who she was before that. But anyway, she's, she's done... She's been nominated for an Oscar, like, a million 
times. It's just ridiculous. She's totally gonna win for something that was like terrible just because they're finally like, sure, like have one. Like ah. She's gonna do like a biopic of Jane Austen or something. <laughs> right. And they'll be like, that's sure. But absolutely one of the most refreshing things about this movie is that it has a female protagonist who is interesting because of her intellectual capacity and drive and whom the entire movie revolves around you know and they also do it in like a really chill way it's yes. not all, you know she's a woman in a man's field it's because that sometimes it's just very tiring yeah it's not ever referred to at all i don't think like it's just it's an accepted fact that she's there which um, is also how it would be in real life you know yeah it's, like, like, it's not like the military doesn't have female contractors <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, obviously those people face sexism, but like this is clearly such a crisis situation that I don't think they just have time. And she is not taken as seriously as certain other people, but it's sort of suggested that that's more due to the fact that she wants to do all this like linguist stuff. Yeah, I mean, she has a laser beam focus on how sentences are constructed while everyone else is like, maybe we should have a nuclear war. Right, which... Also seems highly realistic. Yep, that that is what would occur. But it was interesting to think about this in conjunction with Sicario, which was the last film that Villeneuve made, which was starring Emily Blunt. It was about the drug war, um, which came out two years ago, I think, and was rapturously received. And I saw that, I think it may have even been last year, uh, but I remember watching that and just being so mad about it. And it was an unbelievably directed movie. Like, I think one of the best directed movies of the year. And so I was really excited to see this because I remember thinking, like, okay, this guy is a really good director. And he he doesn't write screenplays, so both of these were written by different people. But that film is, again, very much about a woman in a man's world, although in that it's sort of more addressed. And she is a member of the FBI who winds winds up kind of and I think this like CIA operation going after this drug cartel and she doesn't really know what's going on and they have to kind of educate her. And what the movie essentially winds up becoming is like, she doesn't know anything and then explain things to her for two hours and she has no agency. And ultimately Benicio del Toro takes over the movie in like the last 20 minutes. And it's so sexist. It is unbelievable how sexist this movie is and you had all these people being like wow what an amazing film with a female lead and i was like do you i what yeah and i think i think people get bamboozled by when you put a woman not wearing a bikini but holding a gun in a film yes it's sort of like when lucy came out and people were like it's so feminist and it's like this film i can tell even from the trailers is incredibly racist (laughs) yes and the thing with sicario i think was that it was acknowledging that she was being treated poorly. And Emily Blunt was great in the movie, even though the screenplay was garbage. But neither of those things ameliorates the fact that it literally is a story about a woman in which she makes no choices in the film. I mean, it was it was maddening. And then this movie was like the complete, like just 180 shift from that, right? Where you have a woman who again is like not being particularly sexualized at all and has a is sort of defined by her career but 
she is the person who's sort of like making the choices that drive the movie forward. She's obviously functioning in the system that isn't particularly interested in what she's doing, but she is managing to sort of game the system a little bit. And what she's doing is really, really important. And spoiler alert, winds up saving the world. Like, shocker, this, you know, we won't give you the details, but I don't think that I'm, you know, the world doesn't end in this movie. And I found that so refreshing and just nice to watch, especially since this is a movie about just someone who's really smart and good at her job. I was like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) And she is really, really smart. It was so cool. And the ideas behind what's going on in the film are really interesting also. Um, A lot of it is about language and about the sort of like different way that these aliens conceive of language and time that's totally different from the way we do, which it makes sense to you as a viewer, like you can understand what they're talking about, but it is also completely different to the way that we think, as opposed to a lot of alien stories where like they look funny, but basically other than that, yeah, they're just people. Yeah, they've um, managed to construct a really obvious cultural barrier. And then people react as they predictably would in the context of a really obvious cultural barrier. Yes. But like, it's not, the thing is, like, it's not preachy because, yeah. I mean, the kind of general themes of the story about finding out more information and collaborating and communicating effectively are very close to the surface. But there is no moment where some Jiminy Cricket character pops up and is like, guess what this film's about, you know? Right. Yeah. And like, the other thing that winds up happening is that initially all these countries where these things have appeared or working together to share their scientific discoveries and then inevitably that kind of shuts down because everyone's freaking out and so you are getting this message of like uh this would be a lot easier if everyone just collaborated on this as opposed to freaking out and potentially starting a war which it's quite obvious what that is trying to say but it's not done in such a way that it's banging you over the head excessively. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people are going to be crying through this movie this weekend. Yes. <laughs> because yes. I I actually saw it at the London Film Festival, where we did a couple of podcasts about film festival films, but kind of kept this one until the film came out. But um, at that point, I was like watching it, and I was thinking, this is an extremely good film, but I didn't really connect with it very deeply on an emotional level and also I had a really bad cold so I was sitting there like I feel sorry for myself whereas I think if I'd seen it for the first time this weekend probably I would have been an emotional wreck and that is something I've seen from a lot of people because they're sort of like this is really inspirational in a way that it wouldn't necessarily have been the week before the election. Well yeah it was really interesting to me to watch it just a couple days after the election it was the first movie I'd seen since and of course this was made before any of this happened. And so it now has this strange resonance that the people who made it, and of course the person who wrote the short story upon which it is based, could not possibly have anticipated. And it was interesting to me to think about the way art functions in that way. I wound up listening yesterday to this podcast that The Ringer does by Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. And it was sort of interesting because I was thinking I was like cooking 
And I was like, do I want to listen to this podcast like two straight white men have made about the election? Like, is that a choice that I want to make right now? But despite having no free time, I somehow go through like an enormous volume of podcasts. And I was like, fine. And it wound up being quite good, actually. Um, They're quite self-aware people. So they were like, this is quite indulgent of us to just be like talking on our podcast about the election as like two straight white men. But basically what it wound up being was like these two cultural critics having a existential crisis about their jobs which i feel a lot of people can like, yeah i mean wednesday to, right? work did not happen i yeah. don't think i did not work i think the political reporters were all obviously working all day and then everyone else was just like our jobs are meaningless <laughs> oh yeah i mean i was definitely feeling that way i spoke to someone the other day who was like you know for 12 hours like i have to quit my phd and was like no <laughs> actually i'm not gonna do that um but they were talking about this movie a little bit and like the one who had seen it sort of said like, I feel like this is, this seems like a total fantasy to me now, not in the sense that it's about aliens, but this was made before this happened and I, I can't really connect to reality anymore. And I felt like actually the opposite. Like I felt that this made me feel better in a way. Obviously it's just a movie, but it felt to me like this was the sort of thing that we need to be watching and making or at least more so than like fucking independence day right (laughs) but the other thing they were talking about that i thought was really interesting to think about was the idea of all of these things that are going to come out this year and frankly also next year because hollywood takes so long to make stuff and this applies to you know tv and movies and also books frankly although books are not as much in the sort of like center of the cultural conversation anymore it just takes a long time to make cultural product Movies get greenlit, like, years in advance. Like, you read these news stories about things that are like, oh, yes, in 2019, we're going to get this. Like, Yeah, well. I've, I've been thinking about that so much as well, because I have to track so many kind of upcoming releases. All of the superhero franchises are obviously planned five years in advance, and I just keep thinking how completely culturally irrelevant and vacant they're all going to be. Yeah, and sort of, like, how we process that stuff and what it's going to look like to us, and then also, like, how important culture is for us to understand these things and that there will be this kind of gap or like lag before we get new stuff that is about this which i think is going to be quite odd and also to what extent did you as are going to start thinking we need to make films that are in line with the kind of trump ideology right although i wonder because that's so not what hollywood has ever done no american sniper is basically it like hollywood has pretty much always been on the not like a revolutionary obviously but like there's a strong liberal slant to hollywood that i think is not even on purpose it's just sort of like unconscious because that's the way people think and obviously then you have like the fact that this is all about like white people and white men in particular but like there you get then see sort of like Republican people being like, fuck Hollywood because this is the perception. And then everyone was shocked when American Sniper made like a bazillion dollars. And it was like, well, that's because this movie was made to appeal to a segment of the audience that doesn't usually get stuff that's catered toward it. So, I mean, that might happen, but that wouldn't be necessarily my expectation. The sort of iconic film of the Bush era is The Dark Knight, right? Which is just like, I mean, Nolan has his, political issues but that's just quite a nihilistic film and the reason it made so much money was that everyone was like everything is terrible i mean <laughs> right? 
law enforcement pop culture is a nightmare. You know, simultaneously, there's a very large volume of, like, especially sci-fi movies, but also kind of Bond and stuff, like action films, where, I don't know, the villain is, like, an authoritarian of some kind. You know, like, when you're the new Star Wars movie, where they, like, really clearly code General Hux and all of that stuff as Nazis, basically. They've got all the kind of imagery and stuff like that. But at the same time, there's such a huge volume of, like, TV shows especially, because there's so many crime shows, but, like, TV shows and movies that are all about, like, heroic FBI and CIA agents, like, killing terrorists. Or using surveillance to track people down and, like, normalizing it to such a grotesque degree. Because I used to watch a lot of crime fiction when I was younger, and now I just find it so revolting. Like, I just find it so unpleasant. It's the most politically disgusting thing. I've watched three seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is one of the most ideologically baffling shows to watch because (laughs) they kind of sometimes acknowledge that it's a morally flawed concept, but most of the time you're like, this is a great show about a heroic team of Buffy the Vampire Slayer underdogs. And I'm like, these people are detaining people, locking them up and torturing them. This is, you've made a show about Guantanamo Bay. Even Supergirl, which is like my feel-good show, which is really lovely and cheerful. And in many ways, one of the more feminist pieces of comic book media is also about people literally running Guantanamo Bay for aliens. And it's just like, what the fuck is up with? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like television is more prone to this problem. Because of the CBS audience. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, 24 is like the iconic. I mean, it wasn't good at the time, but that has particularly not aged well. But I remember listening to another podcast a few months ago. It must have been after one of the award shows that had like the Tonys or the Emmys or something. One of the guys on it, was sort of saying they made me feel so great about America because it was like a bunch of progressive stuff and won these wars, right? This is not Trump's America. Like, this is a sign. Like, we're all sort of moving forward. And I remember thinking, like, at this point, of course, not thinking that Trump was going to win. But I just thought, like, that's not true. Like, that's not how it works at all. Like, Also, was this like an event where it's like, oh, the movies are being selected by film professionals? Like, that's a meaningless statement, my friend. (laughs) I was like, the fact that Transparent is liked by critics and watched by, like, I mean, Amazon doesn't put out those statistics. The actual viewership of something like Transparent, let me tell you, is low. Also, Transparent is made by Amazon, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, who was all like, congratulations, President Trump. (laughs) One of the most damaging capitalist institutions in the world has made a single item of art that is very progressive and is watched by an audience of people who mostly probably already agree with those views. Right. And I'm always hesitant when people are kind of like, yes, culture will change things. That's not really how it works. Like, obviously art can have a really profound impact on like an individual person, of course, just in a general sense, not necessarily a political way. Like, I of course really believe in the importance of culture. But if you look historically, broadly speaking, you don't get a lot of like significant political change due to like a movie. That's not really what I mean, occasionally when there's a piece of fiction that has, like, an instruction manual embedded in it. There was some comic that was about Martin Luther King that I think ended up being distributed in either Egypt or Tunisia. Yeah. And everyone fucking read that book, right? It was, like, an underground success and people learned from it. But, like, that's not the same thing as when people talk about, you know, we've made this really inspirational film that's going to make you feel hopeful and that isn't really a motivating force in a long-term thing i definitely think that fiction can change things especially in terms of representation obviously there is a very blatant yes. kind of knock-on effect from when you're watching 
constant media representations of Arab people being evil terrorists. Clearly that has a huge effect, but at the same time, it's not a motivating factor for social change in an activist sense. You need to have a kind of inner rage and power for that to work. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of in my adult conscious life that I think actually had like a concrete effect in some way was Brokeback Mountain. And not that that was the reason that stuff happened, but I feel like just in terms of public awareness and like consciousness about things that that movie was definitely like a watershed in some capacity. And that's like one thing in the course of my life. Yeah, actually, I think I'll be interested to talk about this in next week's episode because we're going to be discussing Fantastic Beasts because Harry Potter did act as a sort of taster class to basic political analysis for like an entire generation of kids. And that's part of the reason why it's being so heavily criticised now, because it's similar to the situation with Buffy and feminism and Joss Whedon maybe not being an intersectional feminist, as people previously might have thought, because it's you grew up on Harry Potter, then because you've learned critical reasoning skills from heavily analysing this book, which is encouraged by the text of the book and by characters like Hermione kind of pointing out to you how to like read the government slash Professor Umbridge's doublespeak announcements and then working out how to do that in real life. You know, that is a real thing. And then people grow up and they're looking at back at the Harry Potter books and looking forward at this new franchise and thinking this is extremely flawed and you have a very shallow idea of what is progressive politics and inclusion and feminism and racism. Yes. So... <laughs> and yet it did have this huge effect on this generation of people. It is, so it's yeah. this kind of paradoxical situation. Although this movie looks terrible. <laughs> Five stars in The Guardian. Keep an open mind. We oh will be watching God. it next week and uh, forming <laughs> forming an opinion. Forming our own opinions of it. The things I do to be informed about the culture. Uh, I mean, maybe I'll like it. That would be great. But I'm, I'm not hugely optimistic about this. It'll be interesting. We will see. Yeah, yeah that will be our episode next week. I assume everyone will be watching that film. It's going to make a bajillion dollars but if you have not seen arrival again we would highly recommend it uh i think it's a really good movie one of the best things i've seen this year for sure and a good good thing to watch this week so yeah we'll be back next week thank you for listening as always if you enjoyed this please leave a rating or review on itunes that's how we find new listeners you can also find us on twitter at Overinvested Pod on Tumblr at Overinvested Podcast and on our website at overinvestedpodcast.com. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>